I could not be more excited for our guest we have on the podcast this week, Brent Butt. Brent, how are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm well. I uh, I want to give this intro here. You tell me if I'm missing anything off of this. Pride of Tisdale, Saskatchewan. Well, uh, I don't know. Six... <laughs> well, I, think I mean, so, that's my anyways. hometown. I don't know how proud they are, but. <laughs> six seasons of Corner Gas plus the movie. Four seasons of animated Corner Gas. Host of the Butt Pod. <laughs> decades of stand-up comedy. Multiple awards won. Hosted the Junos. Uh, wrote the movie No Clue, which you starred in with Amy Smart and uh, David Keckner. How am I doing so far? All good so far. All true. <laughs> That's good. Uh, no, I was super excited to uh, to have you on today. I uh, This is not on my list of questions to ask you, but is that a Spider-Man pinball machine behind you? It is. It's a 1980 Gottlieb Spider-Man game. And I was when I was looking for a Spider-Man game for my little uh, game room studio here, because this is just my garage, but I actually do a fair amount of production stuff out here but I, it's also where i play poker with my buddies and uh you know i got a foosball table here and i wanted a pinball game and so i was looking around i went to a place called john's jukes here in vancouver and they didn't really have anything i wanted there but i said to the guy so he said tell me what you like and i'll keep an eye open i said i like sports and superheroes and i like games that are mid 75 to mid 85 so few weeks went by and he called up and he said, hey, we just got a 1980 Spider-Man Gottlieb game in. And I said, holy Christmas, we had that in the bus depot in Tisdale. I loved that game. So I went and looked. It was in great shape and I snagged it. That is fantastic. Uh, so growing up in Tisdale, speaking of uh, superheroes, you a big comic guy growing up? Uh, I was, yeah. That was the bulk of my youth. I still, uh, you know, I don't read, I'm not as into comic books as I was growing up. I just don't kind of have the time for it anymore, but I, yeah. I'm i a sucker for comic book superheroes, man. So how'd the, uh, how'd the comic Existing Earth come about for you? It kind of came about with um, a buddy of mine, Colin Olexen, who was also from my hometown. He also lives out here in Vancouver now. But he, um, he and I were both comic book nerds, and we liked to hang out. And he was home from college one day. I never went to college. I don't know if you can tell by talking to me. But um, I was at home working as a drywaller, and he came back from college one summer. We went out for coffee, and I said to him, hey, listen, I got an idea for an eight-page filler that we could maybe try and sell to Marvel Comics because Marvel would they would print these larger format magazines like Savage Sword of Conan and without getting too technical, the type of printing press that they were printed on, they had to be run in eight page cycles. And sometimes they would need to fill it out with an eight page filler. So I thought, here, I got this idea for a story. We could maybe, I'll draw it, we write it up, and then we try and sell it to Marvel. So I told my buddy this story and he went away, ruminated on it. Next day he called me up, said, let's go for coffee. And um, overnight he had fleshed it out into like this epic that could go on forever. And I said, well, great. Now we'll never sell it to Marvel. You know, Marvel's never going to buy a, a whole series book from two teenage dudes in Tisdale, Saskatchewan. And he said, well, so what, do we just give up on it? I said, no, we have to start our own publishing company. And so we did. We started a publishing company and learned as we go. I had been working uh, at a newspaper, so I knew a bit about printing. And I, I got a deal uh, on the initial print run and that kind of thing. So I knew a little bit about the technical side of it, and I've always been sort of entrepreneurial. I've always been big into cannonballing in, and let's let's see if we can do this or not. Turns out we couldn't. 
but but we did we did do two uh two issues but it was a very surreal time because i was still living at home it was mom and i at home because i'm the youngest kid dad had passed away a few years before that and so it was just mom and i and i would have to say to her okay listen mom if you hear me talking at like two three in the morning don't yell up to me to see what i'm doing because it means i'm on the phone to a distribution company in england trying to hammer out and trying to negotiate a distribution deal for our comic book <laughs> can you imagine like a depression era farm woman go what the hell she'd be like what are you doing what oh, you're crazy <laughs> oh that's uh that's awesome i love uh i love that uh, that you illustrated the whole thing too i don't know if you can see this actually hold on here there's a uh there's an artist in saskatoon who's drew for dc and marvel and i was at a uh, a show he was at and he came over and handed me this he did uh leroy spider-man for me tom grummet is his name so yeah <laughs> yeah i've heard the name for sure yeah super super good guy well this is kind of leroy leroy and leroy here you know because <laughs> leroy is my middle name in real life that's why i chose leroy for the last okay. name of my character i i'd made the decision once I made the decision that all the characters' last names would be Saskatchewan town names, so we started going through and picking names for the characters, and there's a Leroy Saskatchewan, and my real middle name is Leroy. So I thought, well, that, that'll be my family name then. That's awesome. I, I always wondered where where the Leroy name came from in the show, and I had no idea that was actually your middle name. Uh, so what other what other like Easter eggs were hidden in the, uh, in the old corner gas? Oh, lots. I mean, I couldn't even begin to there were lots i can tell you that we were always trying to fit things in and people other writers on the show they would work in their you know friends names or st stuff like that and uh um yeah i can't i can't think i i think in the christmas episode there's one family their last name is bucket and that that was the i believe i don't know how this wrong it was the maiden name of one of our writer's wives um so we were doing stuff like that all the time I love it. I uh, I loved Corner Gas. Uh, I remember. So my wife is from Massachusetts. When we met, I was trying to explain to her what Saskatchewan was like, and so I just uh, I just sent her uh, to Corner Gas. I said, "Just watch this. This is <laughs> this this sums up Saskatchewan." And you effectively, like you effectively, changed the name of a town in Saskatchewan with that show. I, I did a couple videos in Rolo, and instantly my comments filled with, "You mean Dog River?" <laughs> yeah yeah and they you know while that elevator was up they left they left the dog river name up on the elevator for the whole while until the elevator finally caught fire and burned down but yeah they just left it up there i think they were you know sort of proud to be, you know have real life in rollo and be known nationwide as dog river too yeah, I love it. It's so obviously growing up in in uh, Tisdale inspired the whole corner gas and and uh, the coffee shop was a big part of it. You talked about uh, the coffee shop kind of being how you crafted your stand up, right? Yeah, I mean, I really think that's where I sort of learned how to be funny and learned how to tell a story at the coffee shop with my buddies, but also at home with my siblings. And and my mom and dad were both funny. You know, it, it, yeah, it's a real social sort of storytelling and you know, when, when you're joking around in a social situation like that, it always tends to build and multiply. And, and that sort of developed my comedy sensibilities. When, when I do stand up, I, um, you know, a lot of my other comedian friends would tease me about how many tags I would have on a joke. I would have like a punch, like a lot of comedians have a punchline and you know, they'll set up a punchline and a tag. 
and I would have a setup and a punchline and a tag and then another tag and then another tag. And 10 minutes later, I'd do a callback to the earlier tag. And then I'd be like, man, you can't let that joke go. And I'd be like, I'm still thinking of more funny stuff. That's why. <laughs> and I got to fill 45 minutes. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what, who were your inspirations for, uh, for stand up? Like, oh, how did you, you know, what, uh, what point did you decide this is what I want to do? Why well, I, I decided I, I mean, I knew I was going to try it early on. I was 12 when I decided that's the first time I, I heard of stand-up comedy. I'd never seen or heard stand-up comedy before I'd seen sketch comedy and lots of sitcoms on TV. But the notion of a guy just walking out and talking and being funny was, oh, I had no idea that was a thing. And there was um, an afternoon talk show that actually came from Vancouver here. It was a CTV talk show. It was initially the Alan Hamill show. Some of your older listeners may remember the Alan Hamill show later became the Alan Thick show. It was an afternoon talk show and they would have comedians on there. And I was home from school, summer holidays. I was 12 years old. And for whatever reason, I was always kind of fascinated by show business. I loved old movies and stuff and way more than my buddies did. And so I saw this show come on in the afternoon. I was like, what is this? Some kind of swirly, you know, showbiz show. And they were saying who the guests were, you know, and they said actor so-and-so and and author so-and-so and and stand-up comedian Kelly Monteith. And I was like, stand-up comedian? What is that? I knew I liked comedy. So I watched it to see what that was about. And it was a guy just walked out, you know, in a a nice-looking suit and a fresh haircut and was hilarious for seven minutes just talking. And that revolutionized my life. I was like, from that moment on, that that was sort of like the only thing that made sense to pursue for me, you know? Like I, my other two goals were to like, I if I had to plot out a career up to then, it was either I'm going to be a comic book artist or an NHL goalie. And I learned pretty quick, I didn't have the skill set to be an NHL goalie. And I was worried that, you know, as much as I like to draw, I don't want to do it eight hours a day, take all the fun out of it, you know? And, but when I saw this guy do stand up, Kelly Monteith, he was an American comic who went, who moved to London, had a lot of success in the UK. He had a sitcom over there and a variety show. Um, but he was an American guy. But yeah, that just changed everything for me. So, how, how'd you get started doing, uh, doing stand up then? Well, sort of from that moment on, I started like thinking about comedy bits, comedy routines, kind of trying to write. I I just started, I think my mind started training itself for that kind of thing. And then by the time high school came around, um, I first tried it in high school, like at a variety night. And uh, I went over gangbusters. I was very encouraged. And they asked me to do it again the next year. So I did it twice in high school to you know, very encouraging results. And then when I had moved to Saskatoon with my buddy to work on this comic book, there was a, a, a comedy club had opened up. I was 21 and um, this comedy club opened up and they had an amateur night. And so I thought, well, here it is. I, you know, it's uh, the fate is all laid out in front of me. I got to go at least try to do this because doing it in high school for everybody kind of knows who you are. And I think they're naturally very supportive, but the idea of doing it in a club in front of strangers who have paid and have been drinking, who knows <laughs> how it's going to go. Um, but anyway, I signed up for amateur night, Thursday night, the first Thursday in February, 1988. 
And um, yeah, so this month is my, uh, is this the first Thursday in February, 2024? This might be my comedy second Thursday. Right second. Last week would have been the first Thursday. It would have been the so the 36 first, years I've been doing, I've been doing stand up for strangers in clubs. <laughs> Do you remember your first paid gig then? Yeah. My first paid gig, I got, I got hired to open for John Wing Jr. Uh, I drive him to Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. We did a show at Diggers Comedy or a Diggers Nightclub, and they had a comedy night. And he was in town to play the weekend Saskatoon, and they would all the clubs would have satellite shows. So you know, you might do North Battleford and Prince Albert, and maybe you know Weyburn or something, and then you would come play the weekend club in Saskatoon. So they hired me to drive him to Prince Albert, open for him, do a half hour in the opening slot, and then drive him back. And I got paid ten dollars. And I was like, holy crackers, I've made it. That's that's incredible. So from that, did you ever, like, you know, back then, did you have aspirations of, like, you know, I, I want to be on TV at some point. I want to I be in movies. Or was it just, like, stand-up was, was the goal? It was, yeah. I mean, stand-up was the goal, but I absolutely hoped it would spoke off into TV. Because, I, I, you know, I was a TV baby. I loved TV. Um the notion of doing movies was, I loved the idea of that, but that felt more like a pipe dream. TV felt like, especially because of that Alan Hamill show, Alan Thick show, it just seemed possible. I saw lots of Canadian comedians on there. So, you know, when they talk about representation matters, um, it really does, you know, like just being a little kid in a small town, you know, farming town in Saskatchewan, the notion of showbiz kind of seemed like a pipe dream until I started seeing, especially when you're getting so much American stuff, but then seeing, you know, these other comedians that were from Vancouver or Toronto, you were like Canadian comedians, you know, uh, maybe I could do this. It suddenly made it seem a bit more real to me. Yeah. So speaking of the, uh, the TV gigs, I, uh, I know you had an appearance on the X-Files. How, uh, and I have I have a question about that. I, I just watched the scene today. Was that Patrick Renna in that scene with you? Yeah, the kid from Sandlot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who comes to life uh, in the morgue because he's he's been killed with a stake through his heart. Turns out he's got some vamp- vampire tendencies. And I was the uh, medical examiner who was uh, examining him. So he, he came to life and attacked me. And that's that episode. It's it's in season five of X Files. It's called Bad Blood, and it's it's consistently voted uh, by fans as their their favorite episode. And so I was down in L.A. one time on other business, and I was staying at a swanky hotel, you know. And I get in the elevator, and David Duchovny gets into the elevator right behind me, and Nancy, my wife, was with me. And I said, Nancy, this is a uh, my co-star from the X-Files, David Duchovny. And so he looked over at me like, what the hell? And I said, well, maybe co-star is big. I was in one episode. And he goes, oh, really? What episode were you in? And so I told him the episode and the scene I played. And he went, well, you picked a good one to be in. That's everybody's favorite. That's uh, He said, go look it up on IMDb TV. It's the highest rated episode. And so <laughs> that's kind of funny. So not only were you in X-Files, you made X-Files better. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I'm I principally responsible for its success, I think. 
Oh, sure. Much. I mean, I, I came along in season five. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. So, how did uh, how did you uh, how how did Quarter Gas come about? How did that uh, that get started? Um, I got a call one day from a director friend. Well, I mean, he wasn't a friend at the time. I knew who he was. We were associates. He had directed a stand-up show that I did uh, for uh, CBC. And anyway, he, he said, listen, I'm out in Vancouver. He's an Ontario guy, but he said, I'm out in Vancouver. I want to take you for coffee, talk to you about something. So we went out for coffee and he said, listen, I was just talking to the executives at CTV. I was pitching them a bunch of TV show ideas and they didn't like any of them. But then they said to me, hey, you know Brent Butt, right? Does he have any TV show ideas? So do you have any TV show ideas? And uh, I, I was kind of on CTV's radar because um, I had done a stand-up special. I was nominated for an award for best comedy performance at the uh, Gemini Awards, they used to call them at the time. Now it's the Canadian Screen Awards. But I I'd been nominated for best comedy performance for this show on their network. So I was sort of on their radar and i had a track record of being a funny guy and stuff so they so they were interested to know if i had any ideas so i when david asked me that i said well the only idea i'm sitting on i wrote a treatment for a tv show about a gas station in saskatchewan but i can't imagine anybody's going to be particularly interested in that it doesn't sound like a real hot pitch you know but he said well tell me about it and i told him about it and he said he thought it was kind of funny and interesting could be good asked me if I had any paper on it. I'd written up this treatment and, um, he told the network about it. They liked it. Um, I gave him a punched up version of the treatment and they liked that. And so then they, then we started talking and we went from there. Well, that's fantastic. Over the, over the course of corner gas, you had so many different people who uh, made cameos on the show. Yeah. Uh, there's, I, I have I have a, a favorite. Did you have like a favorite uh, person or group of people that that made favorite a cameo, cameo on the show? Yeah. I mean, there's a few that, you know, like uh, Daryl Sittler was a big one for us. Uh, Tragically Hip was a big yes. one for us, of course. That was <laughs> and that was like, you know, they were first up that day. We had to, you know, we sort of had to get them in and out. They were had to get to their next gig. So we recorded them at like seven in the morning. It was like first shot of the day. And they were there in the studio warming up, you know, and we were sitting there listening to them. We're like, we're just having a private tragically hip concert for us here in the morning. That's amazing. Pretty wild. They were, they were great guys. They were a lot of fun to hang out with too. They were really, you know, loose and joking around and they were really, you know, they had all the time in the world for everybody. Cause we had a, you know, that was a day where, there were a lot more people on set than actually worked there. There was a lot of people like we had never seen before with the broom coming through, you know, <laughs> like, uh, could we get security on set here? We had a lot of stragglers. Right. Uh, that's uh, no, when that garage door opened in that episode and it was the tragically hit behind it, I was like, ah, yeah. that was, uh, you know, growing up in Canada, that's uh, everybody's some, favorite band, right? Some uh, TV magic there. Uh, Wanda and Hank and Brent are standing in Rolo when the garage door opens and the tragically hip are in a set in Regina. Really? So, and we cut the two together because, because we didn't actually, we built the garage set in studio, but we had to have a real, um, you know, we had to have the town actually behind us on our side yeah. of things. So we shot the scene with Hank and Wanda and Brent 
standing in front of a garage in Rolo. And then we came into Regina to the garage set and shot the tragically hip in there. So when you see that scene, it's actually shot in two different communities in Saskatchewan. <laughs> That's so how much of how much of it was filmed in Regina and how much was actually shot in Rolo then? I think it was about sixty percent in Rolo and forty percent ish. Um don't quote me on that, but I would say it was roughly about that. Yeah. Um, because the gas station, you know, was such a big part of the show and that was on location. So we did a lot of it there and, you know, exterior, uh, of other places, Oscar and Emma's house, the exterior was there, but the interior was in studio in Regina, the interior of the Ruby. We, we built duplicates there. We could shoot out in Rolo or we could shoot in Regina for interior Ruby, but almost 99% of it was in studio in Regina. Ah, that's interesting. I, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to get the uh, behind the scenes look at that. The other cameo I wanted to mention I loved from the show was uh, David Suzuki when you had oh, him yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah, he was worried when we picked him up at the airport. He was worried we were going to send a big stretch limo for him, and he would be like, I, "I couldn't. How could I live that down? You know, big gas guzzling limo pulling up." But no, it was just <laughs> we picked him up in a little Hyundai or something. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Uh, so with, uh, you know, you, you went through six seasons of Corner Gas and uh, I, I think it was, you know, like at its peak in its sixth season, like it was still rolling. What uh, what made you decide that that's that's what was going to be it, that six seasons was going to be uh, where you where you ended things? I mean, a lot of things went into it. Um, I had just sort of kept my. I felt that I owed it to the show to listen to it, you know what I mean? And not just keep going for a cash grab. So by the end of season four, I was starting to think to myself, okay, how long should this go, you know? And the the president of CTV at the time had said to me, listen, you're the one who's got to make the call on this, right? So... He said, uh, whenever you think it's time to wrap it up, it's up to you. You have to make the call, not not me. He said, I, I can't pull the plug on this thing. It's sort of like too beloved a show. And so I just, from that moment on, I kind of kept my eyes and ears open. And I just sort of felt like by the, by the end of season five, I thought, yeah, we could do one more, but we should make that one more the final one and wrap it up and everybody go do other things. Um, cause it wasn't an easy show to do. Like we had a great time doing it, but it wasn't an easy show to do. And it, we, people, you know, my partners were saying to me by the end of season five, my partners were, were worried about my health. Cause I, you know, I was doing 17 hour days, 16, 17 hour days, um, for three, four months when we're shooting. Plus, I was there away from home for another two months on either side. So about half my year was in Saskatchewan, and about four months of it was, um, you know, 16, 17-hour days, not sleeping very much. And a lot of, you know, just it, my health was suffering, really, yeah. from it. And um, But it's also a case of, like, you know, if you're a creative person, you want to create. That's what we do. And... You want to create new shows and new scenarios and tell new stories. And, and I think it's important that people do that. And it's easy to fall into a comfortable sort of groove and, and stop spreading your wings. And yeah. I don't feel like doing that. I like 
I like trying new things that like, you know, I just published my first novel and it's a dark psychological thriller. It's something nobody expected from me. It's a, it's a dark, violent psychological thriller, but you know, the, the response to it has been great, but it's not what people expected from me. Uh, yeah, I, I just like to keep trying new things. That's important to be able to do that. So what's, what's your, tell me a little bit about the novel. Um, it's called huge and it's, uh, like I said, it's a dark psychological thriller about three comedians on the road in the mid nineties, three comedians on tour. Two of them do not have a disturbing capacity for violence. Um, so those two start to realize the third person that they're with is not wired up right and is clearly capable of some dark and deadly things. And it's sort of, it becomes less about getting laughs and more about getting off the road alive. And so it's, it, you know, it's a story that I had kicking around in my head. It takes place in the mid nineties. That's when I was really touring small towns and like just barely eking out a living on the road. And, you know, you would, sometimes you would have to tour for a couple of weeks with somebody that you felt was clearly dangerous <laughs> and prone to making bad decisions. And you're like, am I going to survive this road trip? And it was that sort of uh, feeling of dread that stuck with me. And I thought that, that that would make a really good story. And so I sort of held on to it from the mid-90s. I always wanted to write a novel. And so once I found myself no longer in production and the, we were in a pandemic, um, actually, I was still in production when I started writing the novel. But, you know, we couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And I thought, now's the time. So I... I didn't know if I would be able to write a novel, but I knew I was going to give it a whirl. And I sat down and yeah, wrote this novel and, and people liked it and it, it became the number one national bestseller. Um, it was on the bestseller list for like five weeks or something. Yeah. Got really good reviews and, and yeah, it's out in the world. If, if anybody wants, if anybody likes a dark, violent psychological thriller, that's what I like <laughs> to read. I like a scary read. I like a, a read that, uh, has either a lot of action or has a scary element to it. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I wrote. And yeah, like I said, the response has been, you know, Winnipeg free press and Toronto star. And, it, you know, we got a, a lot of nice reviews from people. So I was, I was pretty happy because I, like I said, I didn't know if I could do it. That's awesome. I want to, I want to pick up a copy of that book now. Actually, that sounds like it's right up my alley. So uh, oh, yeah, I look forward to it, to checking that out. Uh, it was all in addition to being an author and an actor and a writer, you also did, uh, wrote the uh, animated series for quarter gas. Uh, actually, before we get to the animated series, I want to ask you about the quarter gas movie. When you ended the show, did you know, like, I'm going to, we're going to do a movie. I didn't know, but we wanted to, like, I, I knew yeah. it would be great if we could do it. Like if we could do six seasons and then come back in a few years and do a movie and that would be the cherry on top, wouldn't that be great? And so after a couple, two, three years away from uh, Corner Gas, we said, let's get together and start talking about this. And we talked about the movie and um, myself and a couple of the other writers, we banged out a plot for what the movie could be, wrote it up, and then we produced it. And we thought this is going to be it. This will be the cherry on top. What a great way to end things. And it, it was a theatrical movie. But the problem was, if you want to call it a problem, like way too many people came to the movie. It was selling out theaters. <laughs> it was hugely successful to the point where Cineplex 
actually called CTV and asked if they could have it because they were only supposed to have it for one week in the theaters. So they called up and said, Can we have another weekend in the theater because it was doing such good business. And um, even my brother called me from Calgary and he was like, I can't get into your stupid movie. It's all sold out. <laughs> I was like, oh, am I supposed to be upset about that? So anyway, the success of the movie, <clears throat> excuse me, the success of the movie sort of, it made the network call up and say, listen, there's clearly still an appetite for these characters in this little town. You want to do more episodes. But I, I didn't really want to go back and do more of the same. Um, and uh, also, you know, but you like to have a job, right? So we were like, <laughs> okay, well, what could we do that would sort of scratch that corner gas itch for people and also feel like it was good and right for us, but also be different? And, you know, I have a background in drawing and cartooning and stuff. And so it was a pretty easy leap to say, well, what if we tried an animated version? And we didn't know if it would feel right or anything. And so I, I think it was a pretty smart decision. We said, we decided to make a three minute version just for ourselves, and yeah. see if it felt right. If it didn't feel good, we would walk away. But if it did feel right, we would maybe pursue it. And so we did this three minute version and it, it just felt right. It just felt really good. And everybody was on board. So you know, I phoned around to the cast and they were super keen. They loved the idea of just coming into the studio and doing the voices, getting to play these characters again, but not having to uproot their lives and go to another province. Um, so yeah, we did it and, and people really liked it. The response from people was, was great. And we ended up doing four seasons. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I love, uh, how, uh, how far corner gas has gone. And obviously Saskatchewan being a small place, everybody who I talked to who was, uh, whether they made a guest appearance on corner gas or they worked on the set of corner gas, you know, how small it is around here. Yeah. Everyone talks, uh, amazing about, uh, about you and the cast and how much they loved being there. So I think it's a cool thing that you, uh, you built there. It's almost like a, like a little family you guys had there. It was very kind of familial and, you know, the cast and the crew and you see each other every day for long hours and you really, yeah, we became like a family. Oh, that's fantastic. And now you are, uh, you're getting ready to, uh, to head back on the, uh, the road and do some, uh, some up shows, uh, medicine hat, February 23rd, Fort Saskatchewan, February 24th, white court, Alberta, February 25th, grand Prairie, February 26th. And then in March, you'll be in Regina on the 14th, Maryfield, Saskatchewan on the 15th, and then back out in BC on uh, March 16th. That's going to be a quick flight back home there after that, uh, that Maryfield, Saskatchewan show there. Yeah. I don't know if there's a direct flight from Maryfield, Saskatchewan to Vancouver. I'll have to look <laughs> into that. Have my people scour into that. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be tight to make that window. Whereabouts is Maryfield? I'm not even look sure. I think it's about I think it's about three hours outside of Regina. I think somebody told me. Okay, I was, I, uh, <laughs> I was in Leroy, Saskatchewan, and uh, I don't know if you were. Do you remember the story about the guy who landed his helicopter at Dairy Queen? Did you catch that news oh, yeah, story yeah. a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah, we were walking down the street in Leroy, and uh, this big truck with chemicals on the back pulled up beside and yelled out, "Leroy!" Like, hey, how's it going? He said, you got to come meet my boss. And the next thing I knew, we were out <laughs> at this farm outside of town. And uh, there's two helicopters there. And I went, wait a minute. And his boss came out. And I said, was it you who landed at Dairy Queen? He's like, yeah, yeah, it was me. <laughs> so he took me up and uh, we did a couple passes. He was a, a crop sprayer in his helicopter, which uh, <laughs> riding in a helicopter at three feet off the ground was the most 
terrifying experience I think I've had. But I was going to say, if you were anywhere near that, we, near there, we could get him to give you a lift home. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds a little too uh, terrifying. That's not my cup of tea. I don't have a very high uh, sense of adventure. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, so what's next, Brent? What's uh, what's what's next on the on the list here for you? Well, I'm writing another TV show that I'm hoping to sell. It's going to be another comedy, but it's sort of a darker comedy, uh, a darker comedy with a bit of a supernatural element. So I'm working on that, and I'm writing my next novel because I really enjoyed writing Huge. Um, Really just enjoyed the process. I didn't know if I would going into it, but after 20, 25 years of pretty much writing just scripts, and, you know, I've always written my stand-up, but that's sort of a different thing. Um, writing long-form prose was a lot of fun for me. I really liked it. So as soon as I was done with Huge, I started writing my next novel pretty much, like a, yeah. three weeks later. The same kind of same kind of uh, feel in the, uh, the next one you're working on? Yeah, it'll be another sort of dark, scary thriller. Yeah. Oh, that's I awesome. read a lot of, you know, Stephen King and... Linwood Barkley and uh, Sherry LaPena. I, I like stories that have sort of a creepy psychological element to them. Yeah, I love that. Uh, do you have, uh, you know, like a favorite uh, a Canadian TV show that, uh, whether it's one that came on after Corner Gas or are there, you know, standouts for you maybe even growing up that, you know, just I always have, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for a, a show growing up, that um, a Canadian show called Hanging In. It took place in Toronto at like a sort of a, a youth center that helped troubled youth. And it was like a workplace comedy. Uh, really good jokes on that show. And it just, it just, you know, it felt as good as anything they were doing in the States. And to me, as a little kid who wanted to get into TV, it was so encouraging to see that. It, it just seemed like a real high quality show with, you know, great actors and good laughs and like good jokes looked really good yeah i'll always have a soft spot for hanging in hanging in i'm gonna have to check that one out i uh, i know for me i got a chance to uh to have on the podcast last year another uh canadian tv legend uh and that was uh, steve smith red green oh yeah and, uh, i think red green and corner gas are were the two big standout shows for uh for me so uh, so this is done my podcast is over i don't have anyone else to bring on now brent <laughs> it's all downhill now man spiraling downhill now it's, it's over don't tune in next week every episode uh, <laughs> from here on in is just going to be you weeping for 40 minutes i think people can get on board with that <laughs> you might, they might dig it you might see a, a little uptick you never know. Uh, no, I appreciate you uh, you taking time to uh, to come and uh, and chat tonight, Brent, and uh, and giving us some of your time, letting us know kind of what's coming up next. Uh, if people want to get uh, tickets to uh, to one of these upcoming shows, where can they go? Yeah, everything's just up on my website, brentbutt.com. Um, yeah, just go there, and you'll see a little "See Brent Live" button, and you can it'll it'll lay everything out on a calendar for you. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks again. And also, Brent, oh, uh, the, while you're there, sign up. I yeah. do. I do a, a fun little thing now where I sign, send out a, a newsletter, um, and I do these. I've done this running comic strip called Heck on Earth, and I do these little video segments that I pop out. So, if you're interested in that kind of thing, I do those every week. So uh, you can sign up for those at brentbutt.com. Also, awesome. 
I'm going to go sign up here shortly. <laughs> There's a yeah, free they, it, to get the videos and the cartoons. It's like a paid tier. There's a free tier and a paid yeah. tier. But I, 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 the response has been, you know, people seem to like it. Uh, that's that's fantastic. I uh, I love uh, you've got a lot of things on the go. Definitely keeping busy and and uh, I'm glad you had time to uh, to squeeze us in here and uh, look forward to see, seeing what you come out with next. Oh, thanks. No, it's my pleasure. Nice talking to you.